You're listening to The People's Podcast. I was honest. Was I brutally honest? Yes. But I think that that's the problem. Everybody's so scared to be honest with one another. This is JSC Radio. you're often in that position just as a black person we can all relate to that is that we often are forced in positions or asked to look um and be more benevolent to people who really don't with us and we're you know it's it's been especially particularly the conversations about race and racism is that you know we are put in the awful position of having to be the peaceful ones, the benevolent ones. And when we're not that way, it's somehow a bad reflection of us and not on the racist, which is amazing to me. So they get a pass and they get to behave however they want and they get to be as racist as they want. Meanwhile, we gotta sit there and just uh, take it or um, you know, sit there and, and use kindness to absolve them, which is crazy to me. This is the best of JSC. Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Hey now, my name is Jay Scott Smith, and you are listening to the best of edition for 2019 for Jay Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio. How's everyone doing? I hope you enjoyed and had a wonderful Christmas. You were able to spend time with family. Family's likely still in town right now. As we're heading toward New Year's, it's time to take a look back at the very, very interesting year that was 2019. This is the best of JSC Radio 2019, the year that was. But before I even get off into this, of course, I want to thank each and every one of you who support the show across all the different podcast providers. We're talking about Apple Podcasts, iTunes, on SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you're on Stitcher, go to Stitcher Premium. If you want to get Stitcher Premium, put in the promo code JSC to get a free month of Stitcher Premium. Also talking about Google Podcasts. We're talking about iHeartRadio, Audio Boom, CastBox, Radio Public, and of course, to those of you who have been checking out this show, and apparently a lot of you have been doing so on Spotify. Thank you again for all your support not just in 2019, but from the very beginning, but especially in 2019, which has been a year of unprecedented growth for this year podcast. Of course, you want to follow me and the show on social media. Follow me on Twitter at J. Scott Smith, J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H. I am verified on the Twitter machine. You can follow me on Instagram at J. Scott Smith, J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H. For some reason, I am not verified on Instagram. On Facebook, I am real J. Scott Smith, and the show is on all forms of social media. Just simply go and follow J-S-C Radio. Damn, this is good. Wow, this feels good. Also, do not forget to hit us up on the YouTube page, bit.ly slash JSCTube. The link is down in the description as well. Be sure to check that out because as we get into 2020, there's going to be a lot more stuff populating that page, man. Get in there. Get on YouTube. Check out the previous interviews and the JSC cuts, and you're going to have exclusive content coming more and more throughout the year 2020. I just want to once again thank you so much damn much for all your support. I'm in the Motor City right now recording this. want to shout out to everybody at WDET for giving me the space to take care of this on such short notice because of 
a lot of stuff happening that won't get into here. You have to hit me up for that one. But this is a look back at 2019. And, oh, one more thing. Got a shout-out, of course, Doc Illingsworth, Mr. Illingsworth, at Illingsworth, I-L-L-I-N-G-S-W-O-R-T-H, on all forms of social media. Shout-out to my man, Awesome Jones, whose song, Blue Chucks, is the track you normally hear bringing you into the show. In 2020, you're going to start getting a little bit more music from some other guys who have tossed me tracks throughout the years as well, of course. Doc Illingsworth has got two new EPs, one called Trenches, one called Old Man Raps. Get on Bandcamp and check those out, too. He's been... That dude has been one of the big-time ride-or-dies on this show. He was the first guy to jump on and agree to allow me to use his music, and I cannot stress how important that has been and how much I appreciate him doing that for me. The Detroit homies got to look out for each other, so pick up to my homie. Exactly. So here's what the best of is. 2019 was such a crazy year of transition. It was such a wild year of just all these different kinds of things happening, both in my life with this show and in, of course, all of our culture. At the start of the year, this podcast was still more focused on the pop culture aspect. I was still doing a lot of monologues. And by the way, in 2020, when need be, I still will do those. But I was still doing a lot of monologues and I was also hitting on a lot of big time issues. And those of you who remember back in 2017, I the first show, episode 45, that was like the first episode that really went viral and caught on, dealt with R. Kelly. When the story from Jim DeRogatis came out about R. Kelly possibly running some sort of, quote, sex cult where he was essentially sex trafficking and kidnapping young women and basically making them live their lives as his sex slaves. Well, if you recall back at the start of the year, and it's hard to believe this was all the way back in January, R. Kelly basically got exposed in the documentary Surviving R. Kelly. And in the first episode of 2019, episode 92, I did a full 20 plus minute monologue on that entire documentary, including the response to it. And I had a post on Instagram that went ridiculously viral when I pulled out a clip from the 2017 episode. So as we get into the best of JSC Radio 2019, ladies and gentlemen, we take it all the way back to January where I talked about the enablers of one Robert Sylvester Kelly. This is the best of JSC Radio 2019, the year that was. My name's Jay Scott Smith, and now let's get this show on the road. This is the best of JSC Radio. That R. Kelly documentary, Surviving R. Kelly, laid bare what so many of us had been harping on in the Midwest throughout the 1990s and so many in the black community who actually had some common sense have been banging the drum about since at least 2002 because that was the first time black folks had a come to Jesus meeting about their favorite pedophile R&B singer. But he's not just simply a pedophile. He's a full on sex trafficker when you really think about the shit. And he's somebody who has been a scourge on this community and he's allowed to be, continue to be a scourge on this community because we've allowed him to be that way. See, black people, we don't like to talk about our issues. We don't like to fully address things. We like to jump out and act tough and act big and bad and bellow and be loud 
and act as if what we have to say, we're going to change the world. We're going to kick down doors. You won't treat us this way. But yet when it's one of our own, we look the other way. Most of the bullshit I got on my Instagram and on Twitter came from other dudes who look just like me. Defending R. Kelly. The one thing that really seemed to get up under a lot of black dude's skin is the what about the white man? What about him? Let me make the point as clear as I possibly can. I don't give a shit what the white man does. Y'all little hoteps. Y'all, y'all, y'all little hoteps. I heard somebody got offended by referring to you as hoteps. Cool. So you little hoteps who love to hide behind what the white man did when it, when it suits you. Or what, uh, the, what about Harvey Weinstein? Where, where are the documentaries on Harvey Weinstein? Hey, ass clown, there have been like 10 of them. Well, they weren't on Lifetime. Oh, I didn't realize it doesn't count if it's not on Lifetime. I saw some stupidity from somebody. I think it was a woman. Some stupidity about where's all the outrage about Woody Allen as I sat there and stared in 1993. Y'all always want to hide behind the white man. You want to hide behind whataboutism. Saying what about the white man when talking about people like R. Kelly and Bill Cosby, which I addressed in a couple of episodes last year. Saying, what about the white man is no different than some ass clown from the NRA saying, what about Chicago when you talk about gun laws? It's no different. But just to see the reaction through social media, through interviews everywhere and the common sight of black men by and large, but again, plenty of black women too, circling the wagons around this garbage human being R. Kelly going out of their way to try to dispute and discredit what these women who are survivors have been saying. And yes, there is blame to be laid square into the laps and at the feet of some of the parents. Pointing that out does not absolve R. Kelly. In fact, it further indicts him. But I look at what has happened. And when I see this reaction where all these black men have this visceral reaction to try to defend him, to claim you're trying to tear down the black man. You're trying to tear down another black man. We got to stand up for the black man. Really? Really, you're going to stand up for the black man. Y'all stand up for R. Kelly faster than you stood up for Barack Obama. We love to stand up for the shittiest possible black men there are. And I don't get that. Because I could not look my mother in the eye and defend R. Kelly. Or should I say... I couldn't look her in the eye after defending R. Kelly. Because that's the other interesting point. A lot of you guys are the first ones to say, I have a daughter. I've got sisters. I've got nieces. I got nephews. I have I would never allow this sort of thing to happen. Yet, you jump your ass on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook and in front of cameras and everywhere else you can go defending R. Kelly. Saying those girls should have known better. They're fast. They should have known better. They, they knew what he was like. They should have known better. They set a trap for him. They should have known better. So help me understand this here. I'm supposed to believe that your sweet, innocent little flower of a girl, who a lot of you don't think can even talk on the cell phone past a certain time of day, is magically smart enough and powerful enough to trick a grown-ass man. As my man Xavier Pope said, A quote-unquote fast girl can't catch a grown-ass man. That man has to allow himself to be there. That man has to put himself in positions to come after said girl and take advantage of said girl. It's insulting to my intelligence for you to insist that a teenage girl could quote-unquote trap somebody. A 13, 14, 15-year-old girl. You know, the same age Aaliyah was. 
the Aaliyah thing bothered me way the hell back in 1994 when I was the same age as Aaliyah. We were both 15 years old in 1994. We knew what the f- was going on in 1994 and we knew it wasn't right. Then, we were telling you people then, we were telling you in 1996 and 97 and 98, 9, 2001, 2 when the video comes out. And that's the first time some of you assholes actually wanted to pay attention, but you still blame the teenage girl. She shouldn't have been there. She's trying to get paid. Well, it must not have been that bad. It's none of my business. Why do we care? It's his personal life. It's none of our business. You motherfuckers will jump into anybody's business at any other given time. But strangely enough, when it involves child molestation or rape, you suddenly want to look the other way and mind your own damn business. Fuck you. You talk about we want to protect the black man and we got to stand up for the black man. You want to know how you protect the black man? You protect the black woman. You protect the black girl. You protect the black boy. You protect all of them. See, I love being black. Contrary to what some ass clown on Instagram tried to say, claiming that by me defending black women and girls, I'm somehow a white dude in a black man's body. Think about the level of self-hatred and the amount of stupidity that comes from asserting that a black man who's willing to take the side of black women and young girls over a pedophile, that's somehow a white man's trait. Exactly. And it didn't help that the guy who made the comment talking about I'm a black dude in a white dude's body couldn't have been more light-skinned if you held up a graham cracker. Stay out of grown folks' business, Junior. Period. You want to stand up for the black man. My love of being black is not unconditional. I don't arbitrarily, blindly support anything in life because nobody can do that. Nobody should do that. It's not smart. I mean, that's what Trump supporters do. That's not me. I am not one of these people who tries to make the world look good for the white man. Because that's where a lot of this comes from. I'm going to turn sociologist here. You notice you hear, often hear black people say this. Don't talk about our problems in public. The white man is watching. I don't give a <laughs> if mass is watching. <laughs> Kim and <laughs> you too. Here's dessert. <laughs> you. We ain't perfect. That's very clear. Our problems are laid right out in the open. So why are we trying to hide it? Maybe it's because there's a little bit of dirt on you. There's a little bit of guilt floating around in your heart right now. There's some shit that was either done to you or you've done to somebody that magically wants you to shield somebody else. R. Kelly was a victim of child molestation. And there's been that video floating around of that very bizarre thing where he's talking about the McDonald's and his mom. It's so weird and so gross and so disgusting. I'm not going to replay it and I'm not going to reference it any further. But... He was clearly molested as a child. And that's another route that guys go to try to excuse it. Just because you're molested as a child doesn't mean you have to pass it on to somebody else. And just because he's black does not mean I have to have his back. Sorry for the rhyme there. It's just how it came out. But just because he is doesn't mean I have to support him. And I refuse to do so. The black community has a terrible, terrible history of covering up sexual predators in our families. And we need to just cut the bullshit and just talk about it for a second. The reason so many of y'all want to have R. Kelly's back is because a lot of you have had dudes and women like that in your family that you covered up for, that you had an older relative say, don't leave him alone with Uncle Jimmy because Uncle Jimmy likes to touch little kids. They won't go to the police because they don't want to tear down a black man. We won't talk about it. We won't, we won't go through it, but damn it, we're sure as hell going to protect them. 
Why? I have no idea. Because please understand, I'm not somebody who's going to protect a molester. I have been fortunate enough in my life that I never have been sexually abused. And I am thankful for that every day. I've also known a number of people who have been. And that bothers me greatly. To those of you men and women out here rushing to defend the likes of R. Kelly and Bill Cosby. I have to ask you an obvious question. How do you look yourself in the mirror? Seriously, how do you look yourself in the mirror? You can't possibly like what you see. You can't possibly like what stares back at you. The thing that bugs me the most is there are a lot of these men who vociferously defend R. Kelly, who six months from now or five months from now or four months from now, depending on what the school district does, will be posting on their social media and on their Twitter pictures of themselves standing next to their daughter as she gets ready to go to prom, holding a holding their daughter in one hand and a gun in the other, talking about, you gonna respect my baby girl. Yet, you're the same sons of who get on social media and tell the world that these teenage girls had it coming, that they deserved it. That's what they get for being fast. What the f- is wrong with you all of you how can you look yourself in the mirror see that's a question that i continue to ask people who dare to stick up for guys like r kelly and bill cosby and and harvey weinstein and all these other scumbags who mistreat women and young girls but particularly guys like r kelly and bill cosby who've taken advantage of a lot of our women and It still leads you to ask the question of how can you look yourself in the mirror? But the thing about this podcast and the thing about what has gone on in 2019, because clearly the way that show sounded back in January don't sound nothing like it does today, some almost 12 months later. That's because throughout the year, the focus of the show changed. And I wanted to put more of an emphasis on storytelling, not just simply me going on a monologue for 20 minutes, which, you know, I ain't got no problem with that. But I also wanted to make it a point to tell other people's stories. And after a very adventurous and arduous path that I went on, which we will get to later on in this best of show, I came out on the other side with a new focus and we kick it back to June where we talk about storytelling and in terms of where this not only the podcast is going, but also what I want to do more of as well for you in terms of helping you tell better stories. In this clip from episode 96, we talk about the storytelling initiative and how J. Scott Confidential truly found its footing almost 100 episodes in. This is the best of JSC Radio 2019, the year that was. Let's go back to episode 96 and we learn about the art of storytelling. This is the best of JSC Radio. The thing about having these conversations is I love telling stories. And I've always maintained I don't do interviews. I have conversations because conversations, you actually can go back and forth. They're more freewheeling. There's more thought to it. It's not so stilted and stuck in the same old boring journalistic conventions of ask a question, get an answer, no back and forth. 
if we're just sitting here kicking it and talking and shooting the shit with each other, it's so much easier to have a real organic, legitimate conversation. And that's something a lot of you young journos, and it's something I've told my journalism students, you want to have conversations. You don't want to do interviews. Interviews are formal. Interviews are stilted. Now, if you have to, you got to do what you got to do. But if you're doing a feature piece or you're doing any sort of real in-depth story, you need detail and you need conversations. Make it conversational. That doesn't just apply to radio. And the thing is, when you want to do stories, when you want to tell someone's story, when you want to tell your story, you tend to want to focus on the, the, the tenets of journalism, the W's and the H, who, what, when, where, why. The five W's, who, what, when, where, why, and the H, how. I'm more focused on finding the how. The two most in-depth questions in who, what, when, where, why, how are the last two, why and how. Except in order, I put them, I put how first because why answers how. If you can find the how in a story, if you can find the how in a story, you have your story. What really inspired all this for me? I've had a lot of time to think, and I've realized that a lot of the episodes I've done out of the last, really, seven, eight months, despite the fact I might have only done like five or six episodes since November, is a lot of the better shows are the ones where I simply talk about my stories or I present someone else's. And to be able to tell stories you're amazed at what people have inside of them, of what they're going through. In so many cases, people just simply don't know how to articulate it. When I talked to Brittany back in September of last year, she was still kind of, huh, about telling her story about what happened to her in Mississippi. We sat and talked about that before we did the, before we did the show. She was kind of nervous, but yet she was also ready to talk. She just didn't know where to start or where to go. But once she got going, she found that how. How did we get here? How did she get to that point in her career? How did she get started? How does she keep going? How does she manage? How does she make it? How does she plan on doing better going forward? You keep hearing that word how. And a supplement, why? When you ask how did someone get there, when they come up with kind of an answer, you say, okay, well, why did you do this? Why did this happen? Why make that decision? Why not wait? Why did you wait? All that feeds into the how. Who, what, when, where, those are all one word or very basic answers. They all feed into the last two. I want to help be able to tell people stories. I want to be able to help tell your story. There are some really compelling people in my circle that I've been chasing down for three years, and I'm finally going to get some of them to talk to me. And I simply want them to talk to me and tell me their story. They don't have to be promoting anything. They don't have to have some mega big-time shit happening. Some cases, they're just people who I feel are intriguing and that you need to know more about them and tell their story of triumph, tell their story of tragedy, how they got there, how they got out of it, how can they survive, how could they do it, how did they make it, how did they fail, how did they succeed. Find your how. Here's a hashtag for your ass. Hashtag find your how. Explain the how in your life. 
I spent the better part of the last year really talking about how I got in certain places, how I got out of certain things, how I got into certain things, how I maintained, how I survived. Your how is who you are. Your how is why you're there. Your how is when you got there. Your how is what happened. It's not checkers, or should I say it is checkers. It's not, it's not chess, and I can help you do it. Coming in the near future, I will be offering my services to help people tell their stories, whether it's helping to create their own podcast and tell their story, whether it's helping to create a blog for themselves to tell their own story, whether they want to get up the, the guts to tell it in public at a public speaking event. I also wanted to start doing more public speaking events because I feel I can help people learn how to tell their stories. I just recently did a uh, kind of a program, a, think, a part of this think tank where we focused on returning citizens. That would be people who are returning from prison after long sentences, similar to the Central Park Five. Because in Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, we have a lot of people who were sentenced overly excessively sentenced to say life in prison for juvenile crimes and governor tom wolf has since started to commute the sentences of all these juvenile lifers people who should have been sentenced for much shorter amounts of time but were overly sentenced harshly sentenced out of either spite or lack of knowledge or let's keep it a grip racism and some of these men i've talked to have done at least a quarter century in prison a fair amount of the constructive part of their lives gone to the system. So they're just now out. And they don't know how to tell their stories. Or they have a story to tell, but they don't know the direction they want to go. And I looked across that room and I told them, you got to find your how. How? How is the most important question? Who simply tells me exactly the subject? Who you are? What can tell you what happened? That's a pretty straightforward answer. When, self-explanatory. Where, largely self-explanatory. It's not until we get to the why that we can truly figure out the how. And whether it's a gentleman just trying to create a podcast to tell his story of how he wants to help others who are returning to society after years in prison, of how his story, there's that word again, of how his story can resonate with others. Whether it's a gentleman who did 35 years in prison as a juvenile lifer and is suddenly out, been in jail since the early 1980s, and now he's suddenly out of jail. He's just getting to understand the world of the Internet, really understand cell phones and smartphones, and living in a halfway house and trying to convey to people what it's like being in a halfway house, which is like the purgatory before you get out into society again, and the crap that he has to put up with and the garbage that he had to go through in order to set himself up to get back into society as a normal human being. These are the things that I can help you do. I can help you do that. And there will be more coming up in that first episode of 2020 of how I can do that. But coming up after this break, we look back at some of this year's best conversations and stories, including we jump back to episode 100 where Jamel Hill joined us and we talked about how people treat race in this country and how we, as people of color, black people, are expected to simply turn the other cheek. Plus, we take a look back at maybe the most important conversation we had on this show in 2019, the story of why Ebony Magazine still owes, and we even get an update from Josh David. 
My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the best of JSC Radio 2019, the year that was. And we'll be back after this. You're listening to the People's Podcast. I'm not going to be responsible for what happens next. This is JSC Radio. Hey now, Jay Scott Smith here. Of course, you know, I am the host of JSC Radio, which you have heard on Stitcher from the very beginning. Because in case a lot of you don't remember, Stitcher was the first major podcast platform to pick up my show. And now they want to give something back to each and every one of you listeners on Stitcher. Introducing Stitcher Premium. You can listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free, mind you, with Stitcher Premium for only $4.99 a month or, if you prefer, $34.99 a year. You can get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and so much more. Listen to shows like The Fantasy Footballers ad-free. Or you can get shows like Dunk on Basketball and, of course, JSC Radio. Simply go to Stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today. That's Stitcher.com slash premium premium to sign up today and when you go there drop in the promo code jsc we get you one free month of stitcher premium don't ever say i ain't do nothing for y'all remember it's stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today and get one month free by dropping that promo code jsc it's just that simple baby get on stitcher premium right now and you can get the best in podcasting You're listening to the People's Podcast. You can't say F you to your granddaughter. I just did, Morty. Here's dessert. F- you. This is JSC Radio. Don't hate the player, hate the game, son. Remember here on JSC Radio, I don't do interviews. I have conversations. There's no way on a show that has the Mario Kart results theme as its finish. <laughs> Talk to somebody who. You do? Oh yes, sir, I do, All and right. it's the. I you am the. I, I'm a huge. I, I mean, Yoshi's always my guy. Yoshi's uh, always Yo, my guy. Yoshi, Yoshi's my dude. I, yes. I have to. Yes. And you did this really cool video for your son. Yeah. Uh, that was circled around Mario Kart. Tell and tell people about that. So a buddy of mine, he um, he made these drift trikes. They're like a big uh, a big wheel, and they had plastic tires on the back, but they were motorized, and you could spin them out, you could drift with them, whatever. So I asked him, I'm like, hey, can we make these into four-wheel version and make it look like a Mario Kart? Like, you know, kind of squished, the tires are kind of tighter, closer together, whatever. He's like, yeah, we can do that. I think it's a pretty good idea. He's like, what do you want it for? And I was like, I don't know, just to have four of them for family and friends. We'll just play around on them and stuff, you know? So um, as he sent me the first shot of one of them being built, I was like, oh, we got to theme these things. Oh, yeah. Like, I need a red one for Mario. I need a green one for Yoshi. <laughs> I need a, a, a brown one for Donkey Kong, you know? In Ghana alone, there's so much health natural health and wellness products that we're just sitting on and as more and more people become privy to their well-being and start taking care of themselves i feel like africa and as a whole is a great place to turn to when you're looking to get back to the basics and get back to the natural way of living and so that's where the idea came from and i i've always known i wanted to be a healer of sorts. I just knew it wasn't going to be a medical doctor. So it's funny that I now have an African wellness company because it's still a healer just in a different way. Silence is the voice of the oppressor. Oftentimes your silence is choosing a side. Like, you know what I mean? Which causes harm often. And then also, 
I think like what people deem non-biased is generally like what they really mean is like, no, come at this as if you are coming from the perspective of a rich white man who's slim and who is a Christian. Anything that that person would, and did I say straight? Yes. And and that person, <laughs> anything, that's what I meant. Like all of those things, like that is what people deem to be non-biased. But that's so unfair. And it's also, it still comes with bias. It's just that you can't delete your perspective in this world and everyone's, is, it's different. And it matters in the way we move through this world. A part of that sport, that's part of what they work for is to get to a point where they can start using their platform selfishly. We should be encouraging them to use it in a way that they feel like can take advantage of what I was talking about, about the fact that sports brings people together. You know, because it does, why is it now the time to talk about race? You know, the way people respond to it sometimes, they act as if, you know, LeBron James is dribbling up the court and he gets to half court and just calls a timeout and says, all right, everybody, let's talk about institutional racism. I mean, that's <laughs> not really how that happens. The one that put me over the top, and this was a woman, mind you, that said this to me. Very passively, though. I don't think she thought that I was reading the comments on my Facebook page. It was a post I put up about, like, El Nino and the pattern change that the atmosphere was about to undergo. And (laughs) so it had nothing to do with girls. Like, it had nothing to do with pregnancy, nothing like that, my appearance, any of it. And underneath that post, completely irrelevant, she puts, I don't know why she has to walk around like a sausage encasing. And I'm like, what? Like, I mean, I just lost it. I got so mad. They don't, they, they don't care what you think about esports or gaming. They just love being a part of it. And they love watching people play video games. And to them, that's a part of who they are. And they're going to do it, whether these older people or just individuals like it or not. And so, you know, sometimes you got to, you got to, sometimes things have to grow and you have to force people to change their perspective. Like, as, you, like, as for you being a hip-hop fan and me, Remember that time when hip hop was looked upon as being a bad, weird thing? You know, even though we are creating opportunities for ourselves, we still have to heavily rely on the uh, generosity of Caucasians Mm. or whiteness um, and white privilege to make something shake for us. So, you know, a lot of times, can I, do I burn bridges? Yes. Do I give a f? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) This is the best of J.S.C. Radio. This is the best of J. Scott Confidential, the year that was for 2019. Of course, you know, better known as J.S.C. Radio. Welcome back. J. Scott Smith here. That was Kyle Bush. Let me break down who you heard there coming back in off this break. That was Kyle Bush during the Daytona 500 Media Day back in February. That was episode 94 as we sat there and talked about Super Mario Kart. Who knew that I would be sitting there talking to the NASCAR Monster Energy Cup champion by the end of that season? He ended up coming in second at the 500, which is still the one major trophy he hasn't won in NASCAR. Plus, we featured Antoinette Newton-Aqua from episode 104. She was talking about how it is for her becoming a business owner in Ghana after growing up in the United States and starting Flowers and Moondust. We talked to Leanne Weeks, as you heard there, and Leanne, of course, pulling no punches about her take no sh- attitude over how people deal with her in PR buildings. And of course, 
episode 101 with Erin Ashley Simon as she had a little word for all you old school journos who have anything to say about gamers. I want to thank my man, Doc Illingsworth. Of course, the music you hear underneath you is from the good Dr. Illingsworth. Shout out to him. Shout out to Detroit City. They were on the Christmas episode, but I can't shout them out enough. Big up again to my man, Awesome Jones. And this was the year of conversations. Well, it was the half year of conversations, really. When we got into June is when business really started to pick up in terms of the conversations we were having. Because remember, we don't do interviews here. We have conversations. And one of the biggest conversations we had on this show came in a year where we had a momentous 100th episode. And that's when my good friend Jamel Hill joined the show. I told the story of how this happened during episode 100, and you can certainly go back into the archives and find it. But the short version is, Jamel and I were hanging out in Miami at NABJ, and just offhand chance, we started talking about podcasting. She has hers on Spotify, Jamel Hill's Unbothered. And I just said something about mine, about saying, hey, you know, you're always welcome to come on JSC Radio. And she says to me, name the time and the place. Episode 100 happened, and we had an amazing conversation about so many different issues. But something that really struck a nerve with a lot of people was our talk about how we, as black people, are expected to basically turn the other cheek when it comes to racism. This was a must-listen moment in episode 100, and we will go to it right now. My name's Jay Scott Smith, and this is the best of JSC Radio for 2019, the year that was. Let's go back to episode 100 on August 26th, where Jamel Hill and I talk about race. Get ready to be uncomfortable. This is the best of JSC Radio. See, when Colin Kaepernick took a knee, he wasn't taking a knee so that the NFL could fix police brutality. He was taking a knee so that those of us watching football and we become more aware of the injustices that black and brown people face in the criminal justice system. He was tired and upset by what he was seeing happening both in San Francisco and across the country. And he wanted people to take notice. He's always taken action simultaneously with his protests. So this idea that all he was doing was kneeling is just wrong. I mean, he was, that was never, never the case with him at all. And he made that clear from the beginning, too. And people forget that. It was right after the game. You know, I have great respect for men and women that have fought for this country. I have family. I have friends that have gone and fought for this country. And they fight for freedom. They fight for the people. They fight for liberty and justice for everyone. And that's not happening. I mean, people are dying in vain because this country isn't holding their end of the bargain up as far as, you know, giving freedom and justice and liberty to everybody. It's something that's not happening. And I've seen videos, I've seen cir- circumstances where men and women that have been in the military have come back and been treated unjustly by the country they fought for and have been murdered by the country they fought for on our land. That's not right. He said it multiple times what, what this was about. And even to veterans in particular and people and people who had served. He said that he didn't feel like America was holding up its bargain in terms of what they were really fighting for. So it was really out of respect to them as well. So with all that you know, being said, um, the, the NFL is being involved in social justice uh, campaigns now, not because they suddenly saw the light, 
because it, they're using it as cover to suppress the voices of the players who want to speak out about it and use their platform to make people more aware. They don't want any protest on the feet. They don't want players talking about police brutality and Colin Kaepernick after the games or during, you know, media times. They want all of that to be pushed aside. And that's why they keep throwing money at it when they could have saved themselves a whole lot of money and a whole lot of bad headlines and bad publicity had they just done one simple thing, which is giving Colin Kaepernick a job. All this would have been not even happened. Do you think he ever plays in the league again? I'm almost convinced that there's no, unfortunately, there's no chance he's getting back in. I mean, zero. I mean, the thing is, I mean, the day I effectively knew that he would never play again, and keep in mind, when I knew this to, or I felt like this would be true, I then only thought it was about a 10% chance he would play again. It became less than zero. Trump started him as a talking point in his rallies. That's when I was, he's never playing again. Um, given the relationships that the owners have, not only with Donald Trump and just their fear of Donald Trump and fear of the backlash that his supporters can create, even though ain't none of them turning the game off. I don't care what they say. Um, the reality is that the NFL, um, and, and this is not something that they had to meet about, as the old adage goes, what's understood need not be said. It was understood that Colin Kaepernick is not to play again because he can't handle the pressure. Colin Kaepernick signed with a team tomorrow. Donald Trump is going to talk about that for three weeks, if not longer. It's going to become a talking point for him to win a re-election. And that's just one of a long list of reasons why the NFL, they don't want him back in the league. And even though they probably never expected that his collusion case would be as far as it did before they eventually settled out of court, the NFL was happy to write that check to Colin Kaepernick. Happy to write. Because they figured that would um, be it. They figured that would be it, and they knew no owner was going to sign him because no over owner was courageous enough to withstand the back and withstand um, the messiness of, of what that would entail. No it, owner, which says about them. And it's mind-blowing because I see the mental gymnastics used to try to explain why he's not there. Yet I just saw the Eagles bring Josh McCown out of retirement to play for them instead of him. To see the Detroit Lions go get Tom Savage and Josh Johnson and all these other these other dudes. Nathan Peterman is still getting a paycheck in the NFL. And Colin Kaepernick is out here and perfectly capable of playing, even being out. In fact, he might be in at least a little bit better mental condition after not having been there for two years. And they, they, he's, he's done. And, and it's kind of sad, but it's so baldly out there that they create all this, well, we're not sure if it's our system and what well, we consider everybody. That's bullshit. You don't. Because if you do, you just signed him or at least brought him in for a workout. He can't even yeah. get a workout. No, he can't even get a workout. Um, no team offered him anything. And so, you know, conveniently, I've seen so much misinformation about people like, oh, he wanted to be paid like a starter. Colin Kaepernick's team has never said anything about that. Or he would he would have cost too much money, and um, you know I love the people who then switch it from oh he's too big of a distraction okay so then you're admitting to me this wasn't a football decision because they go hard in the paint and try to convince you it was a football decision and then they move to the distraction card and I'm like well which is it is it a football decision or is it not because if it's a football decision 
you admit that he's better than all these other guys that have gotten opportunities in the league and that he would make a team that at the very least needed a, a, a quality experience backup. And oh, by the way, one who was a pass away from winning a Super Bowl. You admit that he could <laughs> help a team, but suddenly he's, it's like he's too big of a distraction. It's like, well, then it's not a football decision, so therefore it's all bullshit. If you put in a Colin Kaepernick gif on Twitter, You'll see a myriad of the different crazy runs, crazy plays. The the play he had in Green Bay where he ran through all 12 defenders or or all the scores in San Francisco. But someone's going to sit there with a straight face and tell me Dan Orlovsky is a better option than Colin Kaepernick. It's it's insane. And what's the when and, I, and I'm not sure how much time you have left. And I know you're crazy busy. I got to ask two last things. You now deal more with politics. Obviously, at the Atlantic, you do politics, your sports, your culture. I've told my students, if you can cover sports, you can cover anything. What has been the biggest difference and similarity between covering sports and covering politics and other things outside of the sports window? The difference is not necessarily the what. The difference is the where. And um, although structurally politics is set up much differently, it, 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 just in the sense that yeah, you cover LeBron James. After every game, he's got to talk. <laughs> so you have to just, <laughs> you know, it's like, um, you know, if Elizabeth Warren gives a speech somewhere, that doesn't mean you get five minutes with Elizabeth Warren. You hope you do, but, like, you know, it's not a guarantee. And even um, when you look at this presidential administration and the reporters covering that, I mean, they may, they don't have press briefings for months at a time. So, um, <laughs> so it's, the access points are a lot different depending on, of course, you know, what level of, of government or politics that you're covering. But as I said, the difference is really the where, because, you know, leaving ESPN, which um, has, you know, obviously made it clear about how they want to cover um, sports and politics, which is if it's newsworthy and then they kind of want to leave it alone um, to a large degree, even when it is newsworthy, is that there's still a lot of landmines uh, they feel like are there, and and that um, you know that I I, I think uh, people I know I that I think I know people I know that work there are still struggling to kind of navigate, so they're not comfortable embracing this mixture and this clash that often happens. On the other side, of the Atlantic, um, and it helps too that they're also not in partnership or a financial partnership with anybody that they cover. It's not like, you know, the Atlantic is covering the White House, but also putting on the White House television show on its network. They don't have an office in Trump Tower or anything it, of that nature. No, no. I mean, it's like, you know, unfortunately ESPN is very difficult because, you know, the, the NFL is a partner. The NBA is a partner, you know, so... Um, there's a, a transaction and a obligation financially that's there. And so th they can journalism up to a point, but then they also have to protect their business relationship because that's just the way it works. Um, the Atlantic is not like that. And so um, they can dig down there. I can dig down into some things that I couldn't dig down into before. Um, and, well, I was coming mostly, I was coming freshly off of TV. I mean, for the most part, other than the, the months that I spent at the undefeated, uh, TV is a much different culture than, as you know, writing is, and especially writing at a place like the Atlantic. Um, a lot of my bosses at the Atlantic have covered the White House. They've covered politics. They have been reporters. Um, they're, you know, so they kind of understand what we do and the kind of journalism that it takes 
to create the kind of product that they do. When you're in television, um, you may be on shows where you, every producer there is like between 25 and 28 and none of them have ever covered sports. Um, never been in a locker room. Um, don't understand the dynamic um, that's there between sports journalists and and uh, athletes. Um, in some cases uh, at ESPN, but it's not unique or germane to ESPN by any stretch. Uh, you know, you have producers or people um, that are decision makers who are much more concerned about protecting the relationship with the athlete as opposed to, you know, doing some real journalism. Access, so, access yeah, to something else. Yeah, yeah and, that, and that is not to say in print that's perfect either because, I mean, it's a daily trade uh, because that's part of the job. It's just, you know, when you're when you're dependent on a subject or a league or, um, uh, you know, a, a, a political entity for access, there's going to be some trade-offs. It's just that you hope you're not the one giving up the things that don't allow you to do your job in a credible way. So, um, so yeah, for me, it wasn't, it's not so much the subject matter um, because I was always deeply interested in politics. That doesn't make me an expert. It just, you know, makes me somebody who was just that. And I could always see the tentacles and the connective tissue between sports and politics and sports and social issues. So it's made it a lot easier to discuss those things openly. And oh, by the way, to take those conversations and just generally talk about, you know, politics. I mean, when I wrote the column for the Atlantic about the Obamas and that moment where they had to, um, you know, at George H.W. Bush's funeral and they had to greet the Trumps and, um, they did, you know, they, the Obamas did what they do, which is, you know, they, of course, they were gracious and respectful. Meanwhile, Hillary was like, I ain't even looking over there. Like, you know, <laughs> she wasn't even, she wasn't trying to be nice. Like that she was wasn't not, with it. She <laughs> wasn't with it. She was just like, so after all, after that locker up shit, here's what I got for you. Not a hello. <laughs> so, um, but the Obamas, you know, when you're the first black family in the White House, um, presidential family, you have a different responsibility. You're looked at differently. You have more at stake. Um, and you're judged differently too. And that was very, that was kind of depressing because I thought in that moment, given how Donald Trump essentially became president, the, one of the foundational reasons was because of the racist birtherism theory and the things that he said about Obama and the things that um, he said about their, you know, their family overall that had Michelle's, you know, been like, fuck you. She'd have had everybody to do that. Right. But absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't have blamed him at all if they, if they told him no, to go sit and spin. They didn't owe him anything. And but the whole point is that because of, you know, you're often in that position just as a black person, we can all relate to that, is that we often are forced in positions or asked to look um, and be more benevolent to people who really don't fuck with us. And we're, you know, it's it's been, especially particularly the conversations about race and racism, is that, you know, we are put in the awful position of having to be the peaceful ones, the benevolent ones. And when we're not that way, it's somehow a bad reflection of us and not on the racist, which is amazing to me. So they get a pass and they get to behave however they want and they get to be as racist as they want. Meanwhile, we got to sit there and just uh, take it or, um, you know, sit there and and use kindness to absolve them, which is crazy to me. So 
that's to me, I mean, granted, that's not related to sports. It's generally just in politics, but it's also to me very relatable to the black experience um, or to the minority existence in this country. And so what I love about being at the Atlantic, I am oftentimes able to channel and to integrate all three, all three sports, politics, you know, the black experience. And kind of that was the case with the Jay-Z Colin Kaepernick uh, column as well. Always having to be the bigger person is mm-hmm. is the toughest possible thing. As much as I love Michelle Obama, the day she said, when they go low, we go high, it kind of made me cringe because of the being the bigger person thing. It's like, I get what you're saying, but damn, come on, because it burns you inside to see it. It burned the hell out of me. There's this picture not long after the election in 16 of Trump sitting next to Obama and look on Obama's face when he has to shake his hand. That just cut me like a knife seeing that. So when I, and I, when you mentioned that, it's, it, it's, it, it sticks, it sticks deep and it is a part of the black experience for, for as much as we don't want it to be at times. Yeah. It's, I mean, we're stuck with it. We're stuck with it. And I mean, I think that the worst part about any level of, of racial or, um, you know, racial injustice, you know, misogyny, homophobia, any of those things. The worst part about it is that the people most victimized and oppressed by it, the people who have to withstand it and um, who are subjected to it are the people who are then charged with the responsibility of solving it. And um, I just find that to be one of the most unfair, if not the most unfair thing about that entire conversation is we not only have to deal with the trauma of of racism um, as as victims, as oppressed people, as um, you know people who are subjected to this in, in in small and big ways, but then they come to us and ask us for solutions and put us on diversity panels and ask <laughs> that ask us how we how they can be better, as if I created this shit. Like you figure out that. <laughs> on your own time, okay? They put one of us on a diversity panel. Yes, <laughs> they don't right. put five, but they put yes. one of us on a diversity panel. Oh, I mean, every, every you know, black person in America, I don't care if you took out trash for a living or a CEO or a supervisor, whatever it is, we have all been in that in that room, in that meeting, where we're the only black uh, person in, in the meeting and something has happened uh, and they all looking at you to speak for all black people. And it's just like, why, why is this my problem? See, the fun part about that conversation is that you can continue to have it and it's going to keep making people very, very uncomfortable. But it's fact. And it's one of those things that really about that particular show of all the things we talked about, that's been the one enduring moment that so many people come back to because just just keep it real. That's how we're seen. And you still see evidence of that where we're expected to be the ones who smooth things over and make things right and apologize and soothe people's attitudes when that shouldn't be the case. And speaking of soothing attitudes and things that shouldn't be the case, the most downloaded episode of the year was episode 98, not episode 100, not episode 102. It was episode 98. And that's because we hit a very, very sore subject. Ebony Magazine. Ebony Magazine has owed a lot of people a lot of money. Ebony Magazine has been teetering on bankruptcy and basically going out of business for a while now, ever since they ran into financial troubles. And they've had a really bad habit of not paying the people who work for them. First, 
it was the freelancers that they didn't pay, which led to, of course, a massive lawsuit and the infamous hashtag of Ebony O's. Then it became the full-time staff, where they also were not getting paid and they were getting fired. And along came Ebony Still O's. Back in June, Joshua David, who was the social media head over at Ebony, along with a group of others, was let go by the company and they were not paid. They still haven't been paid what they were owed. Josh went onto the route and told his story. By chance, I saw it. I retweeted it on Twitter at J. Scott Smith, J-A-Y-S-C-O-2-T's, S-M-I-T-H, J-S-C Radio as well. I retweeted it and Josh hit me up and we started a conversation which very quickly led to episode 98 where he and Jasmine Washington came on and talked about that experience because it was still, that wound was fresh. They had just been let go a couple of weeks earlier. So along comes this episode in June, which is maybe the most must listen of all the must listen shows over the last six months from episode 98. Here's Josh David and Jasmine Washington talking about what it was like being at Ebony, knowing Ebony's current issues and when they were let go. This is the best of JSC Radio 2019, the year that was. Let's go back to episode 98 with Josh David and Jasmine Washington. This is the best of JSC Radio. The thing that jumped out to me the most, and Josh, your story just caught me completely off guard here. You said that you have your they owe you about ten thousand dollars. How long has it been since they paid you for that amount okay. of money? And Jasmine, I'll get to you in a second too. How? When was the last time they paid you? May seventeenth was the last day that we were paid. Thank you, Josh. Because you gotta understand, Jay, to process to hear these things out loud to us. Every time we hear this, you compartmentalize these thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Because you, you, you're you're coming forward about a very honestly a combination of very embarrassing, but also really unfortunate situation. You know what I'm saying? The, 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 the truth is, is that, you know, each of us have a certain amount, and I didn't want to put my number out, but the truth is, is that on paper via email, they owe me eight grand. But because of California laws, because of the waiting penalties of not paying your employee, it's an actual other whole paycheck. It's literally another additional paycheck because we didn't get a fish. We haven't gotten fish since May 17th. We were owed a check on the 31st. We were owed a check on the 7th. day we were all terminated. Okay, ironically enough. And now we're another 14 days. By California law, because this is definitely not good faith, this company has left me in the dust to not only have to find another job during the summer market, but decided to not even give us a confirmed date of when they're going to pay. So California law states that for every day that has now passed, you're paying for eight hours worth of pay. Wow. That's why we have to find a lawyer. I can't just, even if they hate us tomorrow, Jay, I can't just let this go because now there's additional money and there's additional grievances that are happening right now. You know, everyone wants to say, you know, you guys are so brave, but the truth is, Jay, we are also have to find jobs through all of this, through all of this experience, through all of this negative press, positive press. And the truth is that that's a lot of us, that's a lot of us we're internalizing in the process. And for Jasmine to just start this company, 
imagine how lost you I was so excited to have her on the team all of us were and then she's experiencing all these crazy things happening in less than what six months not even next year in a job no if you if because Jasmine if you came in in March that's three months like you just yeah. you just really are kind of getting most people when they get into a job it's 90 days and you're in yep. there effectively 90 days and all this just suddenly happens yeah the reputation Ebony had online kind of scared me a little bit when I was researching because of course I'm a millennial I'm always on Twitter so I was there when the whole Ebony O controversy happened so as a journalist I looked into it and when I met with the hiring manager who brought me on I was very clear in asking if there would be any problem with payment and they reassured me that the company was going in a whole new direction, the people who are involved previously have left the company, they're not involved in that kind of context. The digital brand is doing so well that we don't have any issues in terms of payment. So I felt reassured to come on. Once I got there, there were a series of events that happened that kind of let me know that I wasn't as secure as they said I was. And I really, I expected this to happen. Like, before we even were let go, I literally explained everything that would happen to Joshua. She did. Before we would even let go, I was like, hey, I already know what's going to happen. They're going to lay us off and they're not going to pay us. She did. She did, Jay. And this was before they even let us go. I'm like, I can just feel it. Like, I know what's going on. Like, I know this is exactly what they're going to do. And I feel like for me, I would have been okay if they would have just paid us like a week or two later. But the fact that they have been so, I feel like it's just disrespectful. There's no communication. There's no communication. And that is hurtful because it's like, this is our livelihood. Many of our co-workers have families. They have children. One of our coworkers has a son who has a severely bad food allergy. Yep. They don't offer us health care. Like, what are we supposed to do? And y'all don't even have the decency to call us and just say, hey, you know what? We're still working on things. We'll check in for another update in two weeks. Right. I would yep. be totally fine with that. That would yep. be okay. I wouldn't yep. have an issue. But the fact that everyone is just, they've ghosted us. Like, literally ghosted us. Now, you just said something and I noticed I there. You, you said something I just mm-hmm. picked up there. You said they didn't offer you health care. Yes. And this, and you're full-time employees. Yes. So you're full-time employees. You're not offered health care. And no. they're coming slow with, with your money. Jasmine, how much is it that you're owed in this amount of time? I'm nowhere near in the hole as Josh, <laughs> thankfully. But um, I'm owed a paycheck. Well, actually, we were supposed to be paid on March 31st. We were paid bi-weekly, so that's two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then they were going to pay us up until June 7th. So mm-hmm. basically about like two paychecks. Just putting that in perspective for the people who are hearing this, just imagine what it's like if you went without two paychecks that you know you were owed. Whatever of whatever amount it is. If you're listening to this right now and you know how much you get paid every two weeks or in the ballpark, imagine knowing that you go four weeks without getting paid that. That's insane. That that's that's honestly insane. And I've seen Ebony Magazine since I was getting black person knows Ebony Magazine. You know Ebony Magazine. It's a heritage magazine in our community. And this is what they're doing to young black writers, social media people, and obviously with the freelancers. So, And you mentioned, you, you looked up the Ebony, both of you, knew, kind of knew about the Ebony O's situation. When you saw what was going on with the freelancers, for example, 
How much pause did that give you thinking about this could be us too? It was a huge red flag for me. I'm not going to lie. I was really, really skeptical because I was in a very comfortable position at my previous employment. I had been there for two years. I had really good relationships with the staff there. But I was just like, you know what? Maybe it's just time for something new. Why don't you just try it and go for it? And I just can't. (laughs) Like, I can't believe it. You see these kind of things and then you... Because I feel like we all wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt that they would get it together. Despite all the craziness that happened in the past, look at these kinds of situations and be like, you know what? They may have messed up. Maybe they're on the right path now. For me, it was kind of like an attachment because like, who wouldn't want, like as a black woman, you feel so passionate about the stories in your community. What better place to tell those kinds of stories than a place like Ebony Magazine? So it was kind of like a no-brainer, but in the back of my mind, I knew. Like, I just felt it. And I guess that's, like, my fault for, like, going into a situation where I knew it from the beginning. I just didn't feel right about it. It's one of those things where it's like, you don't trust your instinct, and you're like, see, this is why I have to trust my instinct. It it, it blows my mind hearing this, because you just sometimes you got to kick yourself, because you think, okay, they couldn't, maybe they are getting it right. Like you said there, maybe they are getting it right. And then you have this happen to you. When you, and, and both of you are obviously, we're all on social media. What do you say to the person, to the smart ass on Twitter, or to the smart ass on, on Facebook or whatever, who says, y'all should have known better? What do you say to that person? Because you know, and I'm sure you've probably gotten it invariably. What do you say to that person who comes at you sideways saying, you should have known this was going to happen, you deserved it, all that sort of silliness that they pull on social media these days? Jay, you have to it's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the but, truth. <laughs> yeah. But before, before we even, like, continue, I, I want everybody to understand, this isn't us bashing. You know, this isn't a wake. We're not waking up every day like we're going to bash this company. The truth is, this hurts. This oh, is yeah. sad. Because the only reason why Jasmine took this job was because at the end of the day, Jasmine was going to be able to talk about black and brown stories. Exactly. Black and brown stories. Black men, black women, black children being killed, LGBTQI, black transgendered women being murdered. You know, just all of these things. Tons of stories that wouldn't make it on other publications. Ebony lived for that specific reason. Not the celebrity stories, but the true stories about our community. Okay? So that's the first thing that people gotta understand. We took this job, even with as bad as it looked like in the streets, we were like, we knew that if we go in this with the right heart, there's a chance that this may just, we can come out of this because Jasmine started, what, three months ago, and several of her stories did extremely well. Several of them. Because they were stories not being told by other publications. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I'm running the social media for nearly a year and a half. I'm running the social media. My first couple months, I'm like, hey, what's Ebony O's? What's Ebony O's? And I'm being told, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm on social media every day for you guys, and you don't want to tell me what's really going on? That's disturbing. That's disturbing. I'm doing your social media every day. I'm speaking on behalf of the company on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram every day for you. And you're on social media. Just to reinforce what Josh was saying, I just, I really hope people understand where we're coming from. We actually tried to handle this privately. We didn't want to like come forward with like the specifics of what's going on. And even in the conversations that we're having about our experiences at Ebony, we're not even delving into a large majority of what actually happened there. 
And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. We experience a lot of different things that we have not come forward with yet. Absolutely. And I just feel like we've done that out of respect for the brand. It's like a mutual respect for us. Yep. So I think that's like my biggest, the thing that I want people to know the most is that nobody is trying to bash Ebony. Who wants to have, like, I've been in this industry for seven years. Yep. I've never been connected to any scandals. Like, I don't yep. want this to be my legacy. I don't Absolutely. want to be the girl that's known online for talking about her previous job. I still have to look for jobs. So when people Google my name, it's not going to be my work that comes up. It's going to be an interview I did about not getting paid in my old job. Yep. Like, who wants that to be their legacy? I would have much rather them to say, hey, you know what? We'll give you your money in two weeks. The two weeks came, they gave me my money. I would go on about my day. But now it's bigger than that. It's bigger than us not getting our money. What about the other writers who are going to be just like me and be like, you know what? Maybe they change. I'm going to come here. Like, no, we have to raise awareness to prevent other people from falling into similar situations. And not even just in this particular instance, but in various other career fields. It's really important that we kind of just, like, show the dark side of business. Because the thing is, is that, and me and Jasmine talk about it all the time, Jay, if we don't talk about it now, right? Right. If this happened to freelancers, this, okay, so the pattern is it happened to freelancers, right? And they had salaried employees. Now you're doing it to your salaried employees two years later, a year later. You're telling me, God forbid, if we didn't come forward, there's a high possibility that a whole new batch of people would get hired and it could happen again in 2021, 2022. That's a problem. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. And so coming forward was one of the scariest things. I didn't go to sleep that entire night. I stayed up till 4 a.m. in the morning because I was like, my name is out there now. And I'm still trying to find a job. It's a scary thought, Jay. That's the thing. That's, in Hollywood. That's the next in question. Hollywood. That's the next question is how much reply? Are you fearing any reprisal? Are you worrying about the, the potential of getting blackballed? The having to struggle to find because you your resumes would be enough to walk you into any place you'd want to walk into. But to, or so you think. So you think. And now with this, how much do you fear that speaking out could possibly cost you either in the short term or long term? I mean, Jay, it's the summertime. It's the summertime. You chose the first of you chose the first of the month, June first. You decided to not pay your your, your employees their first their first paycheck, and then proceed to fire them two weeks later. You have not given anybody a month's worth of salary. So not only are we processing that, right, Jay? We have to also process the fact that we have to find another job. Mm-hmm. While the rumors about the, the bankruptcy and the possibility that we heard you guys didn't get paid. And it's like, I don't want to talk about that at the interview. I just want to talk about trying to get this job. And you worry that not only are, do you feel a little bit blackballed, Jay, but you kind of feel like, do people think that we're one-dimensional because we've been only doing this content? You know what I'm saying? Those those thoughts come into your mind. All these all these worrisome things of like I've come forward now, like it's been two days. Have I gotten any phone calls? Is anyone looking at my resume? Am I now on the list of like the person? Because now it looks like you're not a loyal person. It looks like you're not loyal because you're out here speaking on behalf against of a company of some ill kind of advised things that have taken place. So those things come into our mind all the time. But it's like again, if it wasn't for the group of writers that we're connected to, Jasmine and I constantly keep us pushing forward we wouldn't even be on this call right now it's a scary thought man and for those wondering we've actually got an update on josh david he took to his instagram right before christmas and updated everybody 
on his situation, what's been going on with him in the six months since we did this episode and in the six months since he came forward. He's doing well, but he wanted to relay this message to all of you who have checked in and wanted to find out exactly what's been happening with him. Ebony Magazine fell apart, and it's no one's fault, specifically the people that got laid off and weren't paid. Um, and that's fine. Actually, it's not fine. It's getting taken care of. But what I want to say about the whole thing is that there is no kind of hurt than your own people leaving you out to dry. And for the people that were laid off and didn't sign the NDAs and didn't weren't silenced or threatened enough to be fearful of this, um, I applaud you for standing with me in this process. Um, Jasmine Washington, thank you for coming forward with me about the whole process and talking on the podcast. Um, Jason, thank you for fighting with us and letting us have a platform to use our voice to tell our story. Um, it was debilitating. It was. To put my story out on IG, on IG stories and have people just watch over and over again, people that I've known for six, seven, eight, ten years, and to get no response back, it was the most debilitating thing that could ever happen to me, and I'm grateful for it, because it really solidified who I needed to keep in my circle, who I needed to get out of my circle, and how to move forward from this. Me, Ebony, there is no malice, there is no bad blood. I will forever give that company my heart for what it was able to do for me, the doors that it opened, but I want this company to also realize what I brought to the team, and I'm just so grateful for it. Um, my best friend told me that my heart got broken, and I think for the first time ever, my career broke my heart, and therefore left space for me to put back in my tribe, my people, my family, um, in a really positive, intimate way. Um, and also God. I let this job get bigger than God the moment I landed at the Mecca, I'll never forget it. I felt like for the first time ever I could take a first real breath that I made it. And in that moment, two weeks later, I lost my job. So there's a level of the humble pie that I lost. There was a level of letting this get bigger than me that I let happen. And I'm not saying that that's why everything happened. I'm just saying that that put into perspective where I need to be in my life. Um, as a young black man, a young black creative to be in these spaces with, with everyone that I was in, I got to see what Hollywood is really great about. And I got to see what Hollywood is really ugly about. And I think a lot of us don't realize that. I think the silencing culture, I think the, the boogeyman and the things that go bumping in the night that people don't talk about need to be spoken about more, um, in a professional manner, obviously, but things are foul and things go on. And for the people that come forward and don't allow silence and fear to put them in, in check, um, I applaud you because there was nothing more fearful than not finding a job in LA for the last six months to relocate back to New York because I couldn't find a job in LA because of what I did coming forward about my story. So I say thank you to LA. Um, it's not a goodbye to see you later. I have no regrets. I told my story because it was the right thing to do. I fought for my team because it was the right thing to do. And what will happen will happen. That's all I have to say. Um, my biggest advice to people is follow your dreams regardless. Do not let anyone tell you 
how big or small your dreams are. Do not let anyone tell you how much you can and cannot allow your true self to be expressed in these spaces. You are black, you are a minority, you are white, purple, green, I don't care. You exist for a specific reason. Your expression of life exists for a certain reason. Period. For one, I want to tell Josh personally, it was not only a pleasure, but it was an honor to have him and Jasmine on this podcast. And they are more than welcome back on here anytime in 2020 to talk about what's been going on with them, especially the next major move they've got, because there's no way that those two cannot have something major on the horizon. And it really, really, really was cool that they told their story here. And I'm happy to have simply been just a conduit to get their message out there. Coming up after the break, we take a look back at Katie Fellinger's appearance on the show for episode 102. It was also one of the most must listen and by by far the most one of the most downloaded episodes of all time on this show. It set all kinds of records across the different podcast platforms, and you'll find out why when we hear from Katie Fellinger about the trolls coming after her hair and just the whole mindset of what women in media should look like in the eyes of some of these troglodytes. Plus, two words, stay ready, and how that became a mantra for not only me, but for this show and this movement. My name's Jay Scott Smith, and this is the best of JSE Radio 2019, the year that was. We'll be back after this. You're listening to the People's Podcast. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. This is JSC Radio. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go, fish that. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. You're listening to the People's Podcast. And we swagger when we walk because, by God, we can. This is J.S.C. Radio. This year's Christmas show, the theme is gratitude. I'm not one of these people who gets all spiritual a lot of times. And I don't really make a big deal out of things like this. But when I think about where I am right now, as opposed to one year ago at this time, I didn't talk about a lot of what I was going through a year ago, at least not on this podcast. I made allusions to it. When I think about where I was a year ago, and even more so over the last two years, really, the first word that comes to my mind is gratitude. This Christmas, I'm so grateful for where I am. This is not a humble brag. This is not me trying to put myself over because I'm not rich, but I'm grateful for being here. This is the best of JSC Radio. This is the best of JSC Radio 2019, the year that was. Jay Scott Smith here. Welcome back. Thank you so much for supporting this show across all the different podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, on SoundCloud and Stitcher, on CastBox and TuneIn, on Audio Boom, on iHeartRadio, on 
Spotify, where most of you listen, and everywhere else you get your podcast. If you have a podcast provider, put in J. Scott Confidential. There's a pretty damn good chance you're going to find this podcast. Plus, if you want to get a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcher.com slash premium and put in the promo code JSC. Tell them J. Scott sent you. So, yes, 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 yes. Thank you so much again for supporting this show. And when you look back at 2019 again, it's been mentioned. This was the year that a lot of things changed. This podcast was ostensibly a sports podcast when it started. But as I've mentioned earlier, this was not something that was tenable. There was no way I could just really in good conscience stick to sports. Go back to episode 100. We talked about that too. Could not go back to sticking to sports. That doesn't mean there won't be points in time where I go off on on the teams in the Motor City where I grew up because it might be one of the worst periods since the 1970s for sports in Detroit between the Lions being terrible, the Pistons being terrible, the Tigers being the worst, and the Red Wings being maybe the worst they have ever been. And even going into Michigan State football, which, of course, Michigan State has had a couple of episodes of this podcast that dealt nothing with football. Go back to last year's Best Of, where I talked about Larry Nasser and that whole thing. But this show has taken on so many different feels. And as we got through the rest of the year... We looked at some of the conversations that we've had and we're able to open up and change things. And by the way, speaking of Detroit, I want to take a second here to also thank the people at WDET. This is a station, the public radio station in the Motor City, that for allowing me on such short notice and with a lot of stuff that I've got going on to be able to allow me to come in here and record this and use their studio facilities. I cut my teeth at this station 10 years ago. As wild as it is that 2009 was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, when I got back into the journalistic side of media, they were the ones who welcomed me in. And I cut my teeth here. I've hosted shows here before. I've done reports for them. I've done guest spots for them. They have had my back when the worst of shit was going on. And I will not ever forget that. There's some great people here. Jerome Vaughn, program director here, to uh, Quinn Kleinfelter, to Candace Fortman, to everyone here at WDET. Thank you. Damn it, thank you for allowing me to come in here and do this again on such short notice and that you guys have allowed me the space to have have this podcast do this in here. It's magical. And I owe you a deep debt of gratitude for being able to allow me to do this. So let's get to the start of this third and final segment of the Best Of Show. Back in September, Katie Fellinger left CBS3 in Philadelphia. She had been there for eight years, was this extremely popular morning meteorologist there, but she left to chase the dream of doing something bigger because she basically wanted to get some more sleep, spend time with her two adorable little girls, and really build something on her own. And that's what she's doing with Katie Fellinger DIY. Be sure to, of course, hit that up on YouTube as well, of course, as bit.ly slash JSCTube because that interview is also on our YouTube page. But Katie also was finally able to open up about the scourge known as Internet trolls and people going after her hair. Very famously, she was trolled for her pregnancy in 2015 with those twin girls. And she finally was able to get loose and really be honest about how she felt about the whole thing. And here we talk about her issues with people trolling her because of her pregnancy and because of her hair. And we finally get some unfiltered feelings from her about such things. My name is J. Scott Smith, and this is the best of J. Scott Confidential for 2019. Let's go back to the end of September on episode 102, where we talked to Katie Fellinger. This is the best of J. S. C. Radio. So you're at CBS3 after the start in New York. You're there eight years. You go, you're kind of back and forth. You, you, you were the last of that original team to, to leave. 
actually. Now that I think about it, because because I know Yuki's still there and everybody is going from the morning. But yeah, you, you were the veteran on the morning. And obviously the other reason that I really got to first know you and everybody around the country got to know you was because in 2015, it was right around the time I first got to Philly, you were you were pregnant with those two adorable little munchkins that are running around in there, including one wearing a really cute Spider-Man outfit. And I see those two just adorable little girls. And you were pregnant publicly with those little girls. And I can say this on my podcast. People were giving you a lot of shit for being a, being a pregnant woman on TV, which I don't understand why anybody would. And you went public with it because some of those comments were very, very nasty, very disgusting. It was like you can fully see now you can fully say what you feel on this. But it's just like, what are you what was it like for you in the time period that you're pregnant on air, very public gig? And your thoughts the first time you start seeing some of the some of the negative BS start coming in about about you just being pregnant with twins. Yeah. I mean that part of it will forever blow my mind and I'll never understand why anybody has an issue with somebody carrying a child um because at the end of the day that's how we're all here like there's no reason <laughs> to shame that because how do you think you got here you know what i mean exactly. so that part of it is so strange and bizarre and i'll never get that but on a personal level you're hurt by it of course you're hurt by it because you're doing like we've discussed already you're just doing your damnedest to get on the air at 4 30 let alone try to look your best that part's hard enough when you've got the dark circles and the bags under your eyes and by that point when the when the really nasty comments started coming in i think i was 33 weeks in when i posted this manifesto on facebook about the nonsense that i was dealing with seven and a half months at that yeah so it was close to go time really because with twins you're lucky to get past week 35 like that's the goal so I'm 33 weeks in at that point and uh it was huge like I know it I was huge I, I looked like a house <laughs> but I was fine with I was fine with that because the bigger my belly got the healthier the pregnancy would be because twins almost always come out smaller than the average baby does when they're when you carry a singleton versus multiples so I was like let me get as huge as I need to get because it's their health in the end, at the end of the day that's the important thing here but yeah i mean i'm literally waddling into work <laughs> 20 extra minutes needed on the alarm believe it or not just so that i could have the time because i was oh, yeah. so slow at that point i'm you know so slowly walking in there's no way i could rush anymore and uh so yeah it just hurts your feelings at the, in the beginning and then the one that put put me over the top and this was a woman mind you that said this to me very passively, though. I don't think she thought that I was reading the comments on my Facebook page. It was a post I put up about, like, El Nino and the pattern change that the atmosphere was about to undergo. And <laughs> so it had nothing to do with girls. Like, it had nothing to do with pregnancy, nothing like that, my appearance, any of it. And underneath that post, completely irrelevant, she puts, I don't know why she has to walk around like a sausage encasing. Mm. And I'm like, what? Like, I mean, I just <laughs> lost it. I got so mad. And I, as quickly as I could, stormed back into the weather office from where I had seen it. I saw it on one of the weather machines, uh, one of the weather computers in the center, and uh, walked back into the office and huffily sat down and started penning this 
post. Our fabulous meteorologist, Katie Failinger, she's getting a lot of support on Facebook, all because of a post about her pregnancy. Katie's almost 35 weeks pregnant with twins, just announced her first day of nine months. Yes. Oh my goodness. And she's unfortunately received some nasty comments about her appearance over the last few months. Now, she did not just take it as criticizing her, she felt this really was an attack on all women who have been pregnant. Yeah, so Katie responded with what she called a message for the haters, writing on Facebook, quote, even during the most uncomfortable and let's face it, less than glamorous symptoms of pregnancy. What women go through to bring their precious children into the world is simply put, amazing, and you should be lauded. She went on to say, frankly, I don't care how terrible or inappropriate anyone thinks I look, I will gladly gain 50 pounds and suffer sleepless, uncomfortable nights if it means upping my chances to deliver two healthy baby girls. And, um... That you managed to get off without dropping a bunch of F Oh, it was hard. I mean, I chose my words very carefully yes, because obviously. I didn't want to stoop to that ridiculous level and say, you guys are jerks, even though, of course, I thought that. And yeah. I would, in private discussion, use much harsher language than that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like, look, think about this for a second. Why are you here again? Oh, right, because somebody went through this exact same journey as I'm going through. Like, why aren't we celebrating this? This is ridiculous. And seriously... I was actually very cognizant about my delivery on the air because I knew I was getting wider and as I would turn to the side to show a weather map, I'd be covering up half the map. So I was really I don't mean to laugh at that, but I get exactly right? what you're So no, I was good. actually really careful, like, oh well we've got this front over Pittsburgh, but I should probably zoom it out to like the Great Lakes so I can slide it over the west enough that when I turn I'm not gonna block it. <laughs> <laughs> like, these are the ridiculous things that I was actually thinking about for the viewer. <laughs> you know, it was all for them in the end. And yeah, it was still um, not enough for this particular woman. But that was not by any means the one and only comment. There were a lot of people that were just upset that I was even still working. And, you know, you need to, you need to go on bed rest. You need to do this. You need to do that. I'm like, look, my doctor tells me what I need to do. My doctor says, work until I tell you not to. And we know that in the kind of parental leave policies that we have in America right now, you get 12 weeks. That's it. That's, that's all you you get, get 12 weeks to keep your job anyway. Now, if I wanted to go past 12 weeks of maternity leave, I don't know if they would have gotten rid of me. I have no idea. Um, that, that's never a discussion that came up. But I'm like, look, if I can actually work up until the very last day, which I ended up doing, I finished a shift, went in for an ultrasound, and never left the hospital. Oh. Yeah, so that worked out well for me. Um, I, like, I'm not going to eat away at that time just because you don't like how I look. And I'm not going to eat away at that time just because I feel like taking a mini vacation before these babies come. Because they're going to require a lot of care, and I want to be here for it. You have the little ones. And, and to the credit of so many people at that station and so many more people, men and women, kind of got behind you and said, hey, that's not cool. Because I went back and watched the the video the, from that time period, too, of just how people responded, how some of your coworkers responded, the others who had babies. And I saw some dudes who, who chimed in with pictures of them laying with their heads on their wives' yeah. bellies and just saying, no, this is, this is totally cool. Because, yeah, I mean, we all got here the same way. Some point 40 years ago, my mother had to carry me around for nine months and, and had to carry you around for nine months. And it's... Some of, some of the women coming after you have babies themselves. You would think that would understand right. what that is like <laughs> because you weren't walking around looking like a supermodel when you were seven and a half, eight months yeah. pregnant, let alone with, with twins. Uh, 
It's all so ridiculous. Yeah. And I was kind of damned no matter what I wore, too. Like, I, people got angry that I was wearing form-fitting maternity dresses. People got angry when I would wear loose-fitting maternity dresses. Like, I, what am I supposed to do to make y'all happy? <laughs> and at the end of the day, you'll never please everybody. I think we can all understand that. But it's like, just knock it off already. <laughs> like, people are so upset about it. It, it just... it. Ugh. I have no words for it because it just blows your mind. You don't. There's no way to wrap your head around that and understand it because there's nothing logical about it. As a woman in this business, or, well, you were, but you probably still are, at least in some aspects. As a woman in this business, you have enough to deal with as is. Mm-hmm. What is, what from, I guess, a more modern idea is that, because you've been in it the last, you were in it for eight years here. You did it for more than, I'm guessing, more than a decade. Yeah, 15, 15 years. years. So 15 years. So we came into the business about the same time, actually. So you were in this 15 years. As a woman, aside from obviously what you put up with with the pregnancy and everything else, what is it like for young women coming into this business firsthand now as you've seen it for 15 years? And we've heard some of the great stories and some of the horror stories of what it's like for young women coming in. What was it like for you and what do you kind of as you look back at some of this, what do you what do you think of from your time in it? Um, I actually consider myself to be one of the luckier ones because I know that a lot of what is seemingly starting to become more talked about with the Me Too type stuff that's starting to crop up, that a lot of those kinds of stories have run deep for a really long time. There's nothing new about it, and I think it may have been just as bad, if not worse, in the years before we got into it. Um, I have have some stories of sexual harassment, of um, thankfully not so much belittling my intelligence, which I'm really grateful and happy and proud to be able to say that. I worked under some bosses that may have been horrible bosses, but they at least valued my intelligence. Um, (laughs) But man, my appearance. That's always been the thing that has been like the consistent nitpicking thing from bosses, from um, viewers. People just love to nitpick about how you look. your hair looks wrong, too much, too little makeup, you're not wearing a necklace, that is a problem. Like, stupid stuff. I'm not even kidding. We need you to complete the look. You gotta put a necklace you gotta, on. You Are you kidding me? Okay, fine. <laughs> They're gonna go the route of some people on the internet. <laughs> they look at that outfit and go down to the shoes like, what are those? Yeah, I, oh my god. Yeah, the, wow. that that definitely is the consistent theme, though, for my experience, is that my appearance has been nitpicked too down to the very core of every every single job I've been in that's been an issue and it sucks because that is one of the most personal things that you're putting out to the world is you know you can be doing a stand up and reporting on something that just happened in your community those are facts but then you put yourself out there in the way you are presenting yourself your personal style your personal fashion and your personal best as to how you manage to make your impression on on the world that day and if somebody doesn't like it, they will tell you. It's it's really hurtful at a personal level. But then, you know, it, what else can you say about it? it? Just it's wrong. It's bullying. And with online bullying, to me as an epidemic these days, that is actually something that now in this new journey I'm taking, I do kind of want to address. So quick sidestep. I am writing a book right now. We're going to get to that. And we're going to get to more about that. The first book is about something that sort of touches on the online bullying I've dealt with, but 
in my big dream of a grand plan, my second book is going to actually be about that very thing. Um, because I have dealt with so much online bullying with the pregnancy shaming and also with my physical appearance. Your hair. Especially my hair lately. You, I, I noticed that. And I think in the last maybe six, eight months, and I'm sure it's probably been going on longer than that, but yeah. I really noticed it was much more pervasive. They would just have, again, I'll say this, it's a lot of bullshit said about your hair. Yeah. And what really got me was I would see you on TV and I would think she's got like this super cool 1950s hair. I would just think it's like it's so cool. It's like you kind of have the, I compared it to like like Wilma Flintstone with, with blonde hair instead of red. I thought it was the coolest thing ever because it was so retro. And I started noticing on Instagram, which is another bastion of people who love to have things to say. I've, I, I've gotten, I don't get, because obviously men, we don't get as much. A lot of men aren't reticent to understand that we don't get nearly as much shit from people online. Now, we'll get it for the things we say, yes. but we don't get it for how we look. I could look like, again, warmed over garbage. If people really saw what I look like. When I was strolling there at 4.30 in the morning, I've sat and done news with a wearing a pro wrestling t-shirt and a baseball cap, and I just and yet I sound authoritative. But a woman can get nitpicked because of her hair, her, her earrings, her every everything. And it's out it's outrageous. Like if you're gonna attack me, attack me for something I said. I mean, I'm still gonna tell you to go sit and spin, but at least mm-hmm. attack me for what I said, because I know my check still clears every two weeks. Right. Your case, it's like you have to put up with this nonsense all the time and it's often unsolicited. The hair thing is what got me because that seemed to be even more aggressive than even the pregnancy thing. And it's all from a lot of women who are giving you all this nonsense about your hair. I don't I don't get it. I thought your hair was cool. It, it just you. added character to what you did because it's who you are. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I actually really love my hair. Um, I've been growing it out over the last year or so. That's another thing. You know, these stations you work with bring in image consultants who sometimes you feel like they want you all to look exactly the same because it's like this is the air quotes way that newscasters look. I think we're starting to pull away from that, but in the process of that, there's a lot more hate on the internet. I am absolutely not the only one that has gotten shit for her hair. I think especially African-American women that are in the news. All day. Every day. All day. It is crazy, locally and nationally, and I see this shit, and it drives me crazy. Because they're being themselves, goddammit. And it's like, that is not that is not a problem. And that's the same for me. I like my hair longer. So I wanted to grow it out. And thankfully, the image consultant that we had worked with at CBS, I consider a friend. Um, she has not given me a hard time about this. And so if she says, well, if she doesn't say anything, you know, no news is good news in that regard, I'm just going to let it grow out. I wanted to I wanted to do that, so I decided to do it. And over the last year, it's been getting a lot longer than it ever had been on the air. And I like it that way. But I think maybe that's why. That's like the one big thing that's different. Otherwise, I've been styling it the exact same way. Going to the same stylist for eight years now. <laughs> She's been doing it the same way every time. But yeah, people, were, people thought I was wearing a wig and, you know, sending like the the disgusted looking emojis and all this crap. And it's like, that, believe it or not, actually hurt me personally more than the pregnancy shaming. Because again, like that's something that I actually attempted to make look good that morning. And now you're just shitting all over it. When I was pregnant, there was nothing I could do about that. Like the size was the size it was. There was nothing I could do nor would do to try to change that. Yeah. I wasn't gonna stop eating. Like, 
You know, you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing you could really do to change the situation. It's like, well, this is what we got, sorry. Yeah. But with my hair, it's like, oh, I guess I could have not teased it as much, or I guess I could have... You start to have these, these questions that roll through your mind, whether they're warranted or not. But yeah, I probably shouldn't respond to these people, but they're... The, that is twofold for me. Partly, I can't help myself because I am emotional and I act in the moment, sometimes, regrettably. But the other part of it too is that I really do believe that there is an epidemic of online bullying. And yeah, and what's it gonna take for it to stop? I don't think ignorance is the answer. Because like, yeah, you sh yeah, you shouldn't mind what the be people say, ignore them. <sighs> to some degree, I, I agree with that, but by the same token, how are we ever going to stop this unless we have a discussion about it? The best part about that is, is how Katie was just finally, it almost felt like it was cathartic for her to talk about that. I consider that interview I did with Katie maybe my own personal favorite of the whole year. I love each and every one of these conversations I have, but that one with Katie felt special. And it showed in the numbers that that show did. And I want to, of course, thank all of you for supporting that show, especially on YouTube. That one got a lot of views on YouTube. It's on YouTube right now. The YouTube link again, bit.ly slash JSCTube. It is in the description of this podcast. Be sure to get on YouTube and check out everything we've got to offer on there too. And yeah, we've reached the end of this thing. But before we go, I've talked about how the focus of this podcast and really of my life changed early in the year. The show that you heard at the beginning of this podcast and at the beginning of the year is a far cry from what it is now. And that's because I went through some really, really crazy things in March and April after the Daytona 500 and found myself on April 25th after a basically two-month hiatus from the show having to explain things and talking about two simple words, stay ready. We close out the best of 2019 with episode 95, where I remind all of you to stay effing ready. This is the best of JSC Radio 2019, the year that was, and the year I feel really didn't begin until I started to stay ready. This is the best of JSC Radio. This has been the trial of a lifetime. Those of you who listen to the show know that the last calendar year was one of the great trials of my life, really starting from February of last year all the way till March 11th and really March 29th when I finally got into a new place and things started to kind of reconfigure themselves. I had some highs and I had some terrible lows. And my thing was it changes you when you go through difficulties and rough times and you lose, you lose relationships, you lose jobs, you lose family members, you lose your home, you lose your sense of self, you lose your dignity. You've got to be able to be ready to change. You've got to be ready to do whatever it takes. Someone who's really, really cool dropped this quote on me earlier today, and I, I think it actually is very apropos for my situation is that, because I think about it, I... I was at a point where I had absolutely nothing to lose. Like the proof song, nothing to lose. I had nothing to lose. And the quote that I heard today, which is a great one, is people have a whole lot of ingenuity when you ain't got shit. And I had to come up with a lot of ingenuity. I had to be ready. You don't get ready 
as the title of this episode is, you stay ready. You don't have to get ready if you stay ready. When I lost my job on February 12, 2018, I wasn't ready for that shit. I wasn't. I thought I was. I had no, I had no, no way to fathom that I was truly ready for what would happen afterwards. But I hung on and I hung tough and fought my ass off to the point where all of a sudden I have three jobs and I'm able to now survive. Plus, you know, I'm always available for consulting and doing workshops and speaking engagements. Holler at me on the various social media outlets for that too. By the way, I don't volunteer. So if you want me to come through, uh, you don't have to pay. Unless, unless it's a charity that's very close to my heart or a nonprofit that's very close to my, my heart, nobody rides for free, bro. But by the time I'd fully come around, hell, by the time I got to Daytona, to be honest with you, I was in a different place, a different mindset, a different mind frame. So yeah, while March 11th was a disastrous day, I showed up on campus here too, by the way, on March 11th. And I want to thank the people in the mass comm department and Lincoln University for also having my back throughout this time period too. And y'all know who y'all are. It's too many of you to name, thankfully. So I just put the whole lot of you and even some of my students because I've got some really dope students in these two classes. And when it came down to March 11th, while it was as much of a disaster as possible and some wacky shit happened, and I was cut off from my things. Financially, I was at least in the position where it's like, look, okay, you gotta, you gotta clean this mess up. You gotta get your, you gotta get your ass up off the ground. You gotta get your ass up off your shoulders, and figure out what to do. And after everything I dealt with the previous year, having this happen to me was like it could have easily buried me. I could have just been like, f all this, I'm done. Instead, I got angry, and. I was ready for it. You don't have to get ready if you stay ready. And that doesn't just apply to tough times. It applies to jobs. It applies to anything you do at your studies, work. I've told my students this. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Be ready for anything, whether it's a pop quiz. Be ready if you're out there in the field and you're interviewing somebody and they hit you with a response you're not expecting. I've had it in previous podcasts when I talked to Marion Brooks. He gave me a response I wasn't expecting and I was able to take it in a different direction. Why? Because I stayed ready. They locked me out of my damn apartment. Cool. I'm in the store buying up toiletries. I run over to Target and get some extra clothes. I make a couple phone calls. I'm able to get a one good friend and one now former friend to look out for me. I had enough money where if push came to shove, I'd be able to get new a hotel, almost at an apartment, a hotel for a couple days. I had enough money to be able to make a security deposit on a place. Why? Because I stayed effing ready. The older I've gotten, the more I've started to realize that people are going to have your back and people are going to invest a whole lot of energy in making sure that you fail, that they take glee and pleasure in your destruction. Not on some, oh, look out for the haters type of shit. No, like, People are generally just awful garbage and they want to take great glee and great pleasure in seeing you suffer and seeing you be miserable. But there's also a way to prevent that. If you're able to get in front of things, it lessens the damage 
or nullifies it. Yeah, I'm still a little effed up after the whole thing. It's going to sound goofy, but yeah, when I get in the shower, I get kind of nervous now. Maintenance guy came by and knocked on my door one day. It scared the shit out of me. But I also knew I wasn't getting booted. I wasn't getting evicted again. I've got a place to sleep. I've got a car to get back and forth to where I got to be. I got clothes. I got, hell, I got three gigs. And I work around some of the best people I've ever worked with. Dead serious. The only way that the only way that the group of people I work with could be better is if DJ Cut Nice were working in the same place with me. I've worked with some great people. I've dealt with some great people. I've worked with some students this semester. It's my first semester teaching. I briefly brought it up back in January, but this is my first semester teaching and this has been one of the more gratifying and eye-opening experiences I've ever seen and I ever dealt with and I had no idea that being a teacher would do this. My mom has just been through the roof about me teaching, which I didn't know for years. For years, she wasn't keen on the idea of me teaching. Now, all of a sudden, she flipping loves it. And I can see why she enjoyed doing what she did for so long because the drive to be there for these kids who need somebody. And I'm not trying to be some superhero. In fact, it would be helpful if there were more men and women like me willing to teach, even if it's not full time, even if it's not at an adjunct, even just mentor and really have some of the, these kids backs. Maybe one of these episodes before I get to 100, I'll actually talk about the semester experience and everything because I did teach a podcasting course and these kids are shooting me these podcasts and boy, oh boy, they are some interesting ones, I'll tell you, but they're all talented as hell. They're all good. They're all good. I got some really talented kids here at an HBCU that'll blow your face away. Yes, I just made that phrase up. And yes, I'm putting those kids over because they deserve it. Because they stay ready. You don't get ready. You stay fucking ready. That's the thing and that's the theme of 2019 heading into 2020. Stay ready. I didn't really know where I was going to be by the time we got to the end of 2019 when I did that episode. I did not realize or think that I was going to have a six-month stretch where I was able to have those great conversations, to watch this show grow by leaps and bounds, as well as to be able to find my footing as a news anchor in Philadelphia, to be able to find my footing as a teacher. Because as I said, I recorded that episode from my office that I nearly ended up sleeping in two months earlier at Lincoln. And now here I am a full year in after the fact. And it has just been a, not a, not a full year, about a half year, I guess. It has just been a, just an unbelievable turn of events. As we close out the best of 2019, I want to once again thank all the people who came on this show in this amazing year. Kyle Bush, Bubba Wallace, uh, uh, Austin Dillon back in episode 94. I want to thank Josh David and Jasmine Washington from episode 98. Of course, I want to thank Jamel Hill for episode 100. Aaron Simon in episode 101. Katie Fellinger in 102. I want to thank Leanne Weeks in 103. Antoinette Newton Aqua in 104. And Brooke Thomas in episode 105. All of you, thank you so damn much for everything you guys did and coming on this show doing a podcast with a guy who, at the time, not a lot of you are heard of. 
But little by little, this thing is growing by leaps and bounds. I want to thank each and every one of you guys who supported me as listeners, whether you just retweeted the show or you shared the show or you dropped a comment or you did something. You followed me on social media, on Instagram, on the Facebook page, whatever. Thank you for that. And let's get more of that in 2020 because things are going to be getting bigger. If you've noticed on the YouTube videos, there's a start and an end cap that's in all blue that says JSC Media. That's the company that this thing is under. It's mine. And in 2020, you're going to find out a lot more about JSC Media. You're going to find out a whole lot more about what this podcast and what this podcaster slash broadcaster slash journalist is about. Because damn it, I stayed ready for a long time. And now y'all need to get ready. I want to thank you up and down for the support of this show. And some of y'all know who you are who've really had my back and really looked out for me. And I really appreciate it. I want to thank the people at WDET. I want to thank the people at um, Lincoln University. I want to thank everyone at KYW News Radio and at CBS3 in Philadelphia for their help and their support of all the stuff I'm doing and just giving me the leeway to be able to do this without it interfering in anything. I want to, again, shout out each and every one of the podcast providers. Too many of you mother to name to go into being able to get this thing out there and get it done. Most of all, I want to thank my damn self because I put in most of the work on this thing. And it's about time I started really letting it hang about how much hard work I put in on this. But I'm somewhat kidding. Most of all, I want to thank you, the listener, the subscriber, the downloader, the whatever. Whether this is the first time you've heard me or you're hearing it for the thousandth time, whether you're in the United States or the UAE, the UK or Canada, Spain or Germany, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, South Korea, India, uh, Saudi Arabia, we do have listeners out there. Ooh. Everybody who's listening in Ghana or in Nigeria or in Brazil, shout out to all of you. If you're listening in Mexico, thank you so much. If you're listening in the, in the Dominican Republic, que lo que. <laughs> thank you so much across the board and around the world for your support of this podcast. Thank you for making 2019 by far, and this is cliched to say it, but it's the truth, the best damn year JSC Radio's had. And now it's time for 2020 to make this thing even bigger. So one last time in 2019, my name is J. Scott Smith, telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pets spayed or neutered. And we are out of here. Have a happy new year. Be safe out there. And I will see you for the first episode of 2020. That would be JSC 107. Until 2020. Goodbye, everybody. So, you know, a lot of times, can I, do I burn bridges? Yes. Do I give a f- No. No. <laughs> you're listening to the People's Podcast. Have you ever been unemployed? Were you nervous, man? Yeah. All right. Man. This is JSC Radio.
heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.